Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, so that the seed of your holy Word would be planted and would be brought forth with a resurrection joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I've brought in as a guest speaker today, Professor Milton Friedman. Some of you may know Milton Friedman. He's an evangelist for the free market. We're not really talking about the free market today. But what he talks about is applicable in many different ways to various aspects of our lives, uh, This was on PBS in 1980, so now 42 years later, I am still remembering what Professor Friedman has to say about the lowly pencil. And as he talks about the pencil, this Nobel Prize winning professor reminds us that we're all in this together. He reminds us that we don't operate singularly, but we operate in a plural way. Now, when I tried to start the video in the last service, even though it worked for me, I couldn't. So if you can press the button up there, it will start, but this will not start my video. The basic principles underlying the free market, as Adam Smith taught them to his students in this university, are really very simple. Look at this lead pencil. There's not a single person in the world who could make this pencil. Remarkable statement? Not at all. The wood from which it's made, for all I know, comes from a tree that was cut down in the state of Washington. To cut down that tree, it took a saw. 
To make the saw, it took steel. To make the steel, it took iron ore. This black center, we call it lead, but it's really graphite, compressed graphite. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I think it comes from some mines in South America. This red top up here, the eraser, bit of rubber, probably comes from Malaya, where the rubber tree isn't even native. It was imported from South America by some businessmen with the help of the British government. This brass ferrule, I haven't the slightest idea where it came from, or the yellow paint, or the paint that made the black lines, or the glue that holds it together. Literally thousands of people cooperated to make this pencil. People who don't speak the same language, who practice different religions, who might hate one another if they ever met. When you go down to the store and buy this pencil, you are in effect trading a few minutes of your time for a few seconds of the time of all those thousands of people. What brought them together and induced them to cooperate to make this pencil? There was no commissar sending out offices from, sending out orders from some central office. It was a magic of the price system, the impersonal operation of prices that brought them together and got them to cooperate to make this pencil so that you could have it for a trifling sum. That is why the operation of the free market is so essential, not only to promote productive efficiency, but even more to foster harmony and peace among the peoples of the world. To foster harmony and peace among the peoples of the world. The free market system or, in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say to you, though, that what Professor Friedman says there back in 1980 is actually more true than we would imagine across the board. This idea has been updated for uh, the 21st century uh, with the Starbucks cup. And so you can find a, a new version uh, Dr. Friedman died years and uh, years ago, so it's done by someone else. But the idea that there is not a single person alive who could, from scratch, make a Starbucks cup. Wood pulp would have to be combined with water and then rolled to make paper, and the rollers are just part of one machine that's made of plastics and metal that someone has put together. And, and the ink on the outside of that paper has to be ink that you can put up to your lips while drinking something that won't poison you. And the folding and the pressing, the crease that becomes waterproof when done correctly all around the bottom and on the side of the Starbucks coffee cup is something that not a single person in all the world could start from scratch and make happen. This afternoon when you go out and you start your automobile, uh, there's not a single person in the world who could create an automobile engine. Now, the smart guys that we know, some of the smart mechanics that we know, she or he could go into the junkyard and find pieces of a car and, and maybe go in 12 or, or 15 times and put a car together, but they didn't start from nothing. Starting from nothing would involve mining and smelting ores, 
would involve the chemistry of batteries, microchips, would involve putting together the gas in the cooling system and figuring out what coolant is made of. It would involve bringing together the stitches of the fabric that makes up the seats within our cars or the leather from which those seats are made. There are tens of thousands of people that have worked together to create the automobile that you're going to go out and brush some snow and ice off of in order to get in and to go home. Uh, another, another piece of equipment that we use every day, the, the smartphone. Sometimes you see me using my smartphone. I'm not texting people when I'm using it. This is my Bible. I can read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and Latin and many different English uh, translations right here on something that I can keep in my pocket which has more computational power than the craft that got the first astronauts to the moon. Here, not a single person alive could create a smartphone because the smartphone requires not just its own being but the ability to connect with other phones. It requires a network and this system of working together. We need each other. We need the work of other people and we often have no clue of the complexity that has occurred to bring us this Bible that we sit down and read with little appreciation for how it got to us. It got to us in many different ways, one of which was that people remembered and recorded what they saw and what they heard, the eyewitness testimony in the Bible. Other people sat down and recorded stories that had been passed down to them from generation to generation before being placed on paper. There were scribes, monks in their cells, going blind, copying the text by candlelight so that it could be taken to other places over century after century. The printing press made all of this easier, made copying less troublesome, but the plates still had to have the letters arranged on them and there had to be editors that edited the plates once the letters had been arranged on them. There are a few famous instances where the editors didn't particularly do their jobs. The Sinner's Bible, for instance, one of the printings of the King James Version, which said, Thou shalt commit adultery. Once that error was discovered, uh, they did the best they could to, to bring in all of these copies that had been printed. If you happen to have one in your attic, you are a rich, rich person. There are only, only a couple that are known to be in existence from that particular printing. And only modern times have given us the ability to write and then click print and it come out of our printer, but then we'd have to go into all of the multitude of people that made computers and keyboards and electricity and printers and ink work together in the way they do to give us what we take for granted every day. Almost everything that is worthwhile 
requires people cooperating with each other. Almost everything that is worthwhile requires some kind of cooperation. There are hospitals, and uh, not by accident have I given you a, a picture of the Christ Hospital. We have the Christ Hospital, St. Joseph, St. Luke, the physician. We, we have all of these hospitals. Good Samaritan used to be owned by United Methodists in Kentucky. And it's no accident that churches were involved in health care before it became legally problematic and not worth the risks for denominations. The modern hospital as we know it was in the second wave of medical care. The first wave of medical care was, was often done in pagan temples and was done only to specific people. The second wave of medical care happened in the first few centuries of Christianity. In the first few centuries of Christianity, people who were sick who could no longer contribute to society in the ways that once they did, were cast out of the city and lived outside of the city. And even though germ theory, as we know it, wasn't well understood in the early Christian era, there was enough understanding that if there were people that were sick, among other people, other people tended to get sick. And so those who were ill and those who were dying and hurting were cast outside of the city. And it was the Christians who said, we are going outside of the city to suffer with those who suffer, to wash the wounds of those with boils, to feed those who have no other way to eat and to care as best we can. It was the Christians who were, in fact, the originators of public health care and hospitalization as we now know it. That history goes back to early Christianity. So working together for many, many centuries now, we have, we have seen the people of faith believe that every soul made in the image of God that every person has worth and dignity and it was not the non-Christians who left the city to go and live outside with those who were hurting but it was those who believed that Jesus is Lord that every life matters and that because of that the suffering, the suffering men and women outside of the city should be given compassion. Now I know I'm going to get in some trouble here. This is Duke and we're in UK country. But uh, institutions of higher learning, not just in the United States, not just Duke University, but in New England and, and, and all over Europe and all over the world. Africa University was started by Methodists so that people on the continent of Africa didn't have to come to other continents to study. Africa University is one of the most amazing things that United Methodism has pooled our resources and time and talents together to produce collectively. But I, I bring up the image of the chapel at Duke for this reason. Christians have always emphasized education, believing that all truth 
is God's truth, believing that God's orderly world is worth studying, and that learning is noble and holds value. And so working together, faculty and students of different disciplines that are interacting with each other help make people whole in their minds, just as those who worked in the early hospitals help make people whole in their bodies. One of the interesting things about Duke University that you may or may not know, it's, you, it's related to the United Methodist Church, and, and now the mission statement of Duke at least acknowledges that it has a history that is working together with the United Methodist Church. But let's take a look at the original mission statement of Duke University. The aims of Duke University are to assert a faith in the eternal union of knowledge and religion set forth in the teachings and character of Jesus Christ, the Son of God to advance learning in all lines of truth, to defend scholarship against all false notions and ideals, to develop a Christian love of freedom and truth, to promote a sincere spirit of tolerance, to discourage all partisan and sectarian strife, and to render the largest permanent service to the individual the state, the nation, and the church. Unto these ends shall all the affairs of this university always be administered. Working together, needing each other, the church has produced hospitals, educational institutions, and here we sit in a place with a storied history within Methodism east of the mountains. West of the mountains, not east. There are older congregations east of the Alleghenies, but we at Centenary are the oldest to the west. This year is an important year for us. We will remember the 10th anniversary of the dedication of this sanctuary in 2022. It was 2012 when this sanctuary was dedicated. We will recognize this year the 20th anniversary of the dedication of our multi-purpose center, our CLC. But this congregation's life goes far longer than 2012 or 2002. Our life as a congregation has gone on uninterrupted for 234 years. We are in a line of people who use their gifts to teach Sunday school, to serve as pastor, evangelist, to greet people as they came to worship, to cook meals for midweek services for those who are in need. We are a congregation with a 234-year history of men and women using their gifts in countless ways to proclaim, as the words above me say, that Jesus is Lord of all. 
whenever I get to thinking too highly of myself, which is not often, if anything, I'm, I'm a person who thinks a little lowly of, of myself if I'm, if I'm honest about it. I, I go over into the chapel and I read that list of names that begins 1788. It goes down one side, it goes down the other side, and, and, and then there's, there's one other uh, kind of frame that is framed, a bunch of pastors' name, and then there is Mike and Scott and me. And then there's a lot of room left for those who will come after. 234 years, may we praise the Lord, the living, risen Christ for 234 more. We are in this together. We are working together. We are a part of a group of people who have praised the living God. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. We're never intended to be copies of each other. You're not supposed to look like me. I'm not supposed to look like you. And there is nobody else like either one of us. The complex uniqueness of our DNA, unless you've got an identical twin. John and his twin brother Phil share the same DNA, although even John and Phil have differing personalities, not entirely. They're not the same person. When they're choosing musical instruments, they didn't choose the same musical instruments to play. When they're thinking about theology, they I've had a chance to work with, with both of them theologically. They don't think about theology the same way, even with, with carbon copies of DNA. They're not copies of one another. You and I were never designed to be automatons that all look like each other. Paul reminds us to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. Very often we want to describe these gifts in, in very spiritualized ways. And that's not always the, the wrong way to look at it. But the utterance of wisdom doesn't necessarily mean someone standing up in church and saying something. The utterance of wisdom can be the professor at Center College who has spent a lifetime devoted to the study of a, a, of a single subject who, who stands up and presents in a way that nobody else in the world can quite duplicate. To another faith, 
faith that God has made himself known in Jesus of Nazareth and that somehow, because God has been made known in Jesus, we need not fear. Though the mountains quake, though there is tumult in the seas, we need not fear when the future seems uncertain. To another, gifts of healing in our spiritualized kind of worldview that can't see past the walls of the church, we, we often mean the, the placement of the hands on someone's head and suddenly the person that has a disease doesn't have the disease anymore. I, I've seen that happen. I've also done an awful lot of funerals, so it doesn't happen every time. So sometimes that's what people mean when they talk about the gifts of healing. But if you go through town today and look at Ephraim McDowell Hospital, thank God for the gifts of healing that have come to the nurse practitioners, the nurses, to the doctors, to those who care for the sick, for the sick to the, the physical therapists, to the nurses' aides who, who work there to make sure that the best of what we know about the human body, that the best of what we know about chemistry is applied to make people whole. As you pass by Danville High School or Boyle County Middle School, if you're going out to the park to play volleyball this afternoon, I won't be. You pass by the high school, thank God for knowledge. This knowledge that, that has been gained through, through centuries that somehow has come down to us and we take for granted just knowing the things that people 250 years ago would have given their right arm to experience. Right here, in my Bible app, which you all have access to through Faith Life, the Logos Bible app, it, it has a little bit of a learning curve, but it's powerful. John Wesley would have been gleeful beyond belief to have had that in his pocket. John Calvin would have thought it a miracle to be able to do the kinds of searches that you and I can do in the scriptural text. We live in a time when all of this needing each other and working together and coming together and appreciating and working with the grand gifts that we have been offered in our civilization, in our world. We take so many of them for granted. As Christians, all of this being better together, cooperating with each other, and, and working together to make the world a better place. This is the work of God. This is God's intention for us. This is God's will for us. Look at what Paul says here at the end of our text. All these different gifts, whether they're exercised in the realm of our spiritual worship or whether they're exercised in the realm of the world, in our workplaces, our families, all of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. 
I love the translation of the New Revised Standard Version here. All of these are activated. Now, if you've got the NIV, if you've got the New American Standard Version, if you're looking at the KJV, there, there are different ways that, that this is put. But the Greek word, and Ann Arnold was signing, and, and I started using Greek, and she looked at me. She wasn't, she, she wasn't expecting to, to sign Greek. Uh, Energeo. It sounds like what it means, energy. God activates, God energizes, God opens the door to these gifts, God initiates these gifts in men and women of faith. And there are different ways this is translated to to activate, to, to work within, to effect, to accomplish, to inspire. However it is you want to think about this, all these gifts of God are activated, inspired by, put at work within, by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. You may know how the Spirit is choosing to work through you, God may have made that clear 5, 10, 20 years ago. Or you may be sitting here thinking, what gift has God activated in me? Maybe you thought about that a while back, but haven't thought about it in a while. It's so easy for us to go on autopilot, to get up in the morning and make breakfast and make it to lunch and make it to dinner. You see how I describe my day. Food has a lot to do with it. But we can go on cruise control, autopilot, never thinking that there is something within us that God wants to bring alive to activate that will bless not only me, but those with whom I interact on Monday, on Thursday, on Saturday, on Sunday. We need each other. There are things that you bring to the church that I can never bring. There are gifts that God wishes to activate in you that He has no intention of activating within me. We need each other. And even if you're one of these people that says, well, the church didn't have a whole lot to do with my conversion. I was just sitting at home, reading my Bible, and God made himself known to me. Where did you get your Bible? We're all part of that big web. We need each other. What gifts has God put in action in you? What gift might yet be activated so that you may be even more a vital part of God's blessing to the church and to the world? What is it that God wants to energize to bring to life in you so that Jesus may be glorified and the world may be a place where people are loved and know 
that God loves them. How will God energize you today, tomorrow, and in all the days to come? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray.